All right. I am excited to get into the Word of God this morning. Um, appreciated the the songs and the thoughts that were shared about the Lord and His His wisdom, His might, His grace. And as we come to the Word of God, I trust that we come with humble hearts to worship God, to see His beauty, to see Him as He declares Himself, not as we so often uh, think of Him in our own minds. Trust that we come with hearts willing to learn and follow our Lord. A little bit of background. Um, Paul has just finished writing about his imprisonment, and it's in that that we uh, he declared the the what has become our memory verse for this month that that Christ would be exalted, whether by his life or by his death. And so he's trusting the Lord. He uh, writes of his his imprisonment and the the troubles that he was facing, and uh, he kind of ended there with his desire to see the Philippians again. And he believed that God, uh, he trusted that uh, the Lord would allow him to see them again, but yet he left the, uh, the results in the Lord's hands. And he said, Lord, I want you to be exalted whether I go to see them again or not. And so, so he shared his heart and, and what's going on in his life. And now in verse uh, 27 of chapter 1, where we'll begin this morning, Paul turns to the Philippians situation. He wanted them to know that whatever happened to him, his desire was that their conduct would be worthy of the gospel. More than anything, Paul desired to see God's people persevere and stand together for the gospel. And so this morning we're going to consider both the call of the gospel and the comfort of the gospel as we think of standing together for, for Christ and the good news of Jesus Christ. going to... You see, a life that is worthy of the gospel is a life that's founded in the gospel. So Paul is writing that the Philippians would know that we would know that we are able to stand together for Christ in all circumstances because we stand firmly in his grace. I want to read now our, our passage. It's just four verses. Um, Ephesians 1, 27 to 30. We're going to consider the gospel in action, the gospel call, and the gospel's assurance. Verse 27. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear that you are standing firm 
in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign of their destruction, but of your salvation, and that from God. For it has been granted to you not only to believe in Christ, but also to suffer for him, since you are encountering the same conflict that you saw me face and now hear that I am facing. So first we're going to look at the call of the gospel. Paul, in verse 27, writes as someone who may or may not see his friends again. And so we see that first off, he wants them to know his desire is to hear that their conduct is worthy of the gospel. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Now that word manner of life translated uh, in, in some of the older translations that King James, that let your conversation, your way of life, your conduct, this word means uh, good conduct or conduct that's appropriate of, of citizens. Now, I mentioned a few weeks ago, we began Philippians. I mentioned that Philippians was a Roman colony. And this meant that the Philippians had all of the privileges and the status of Rome. Citizens of a Roman colony, they might even call themselves a, a, a little Rome. And so, though that, that came with great privileges, they were considered citizens of the, the city of Rome. Um, it also came with the standard of conduct were to live in a way that was appropriate of such a great city to honor the the city or city to honor the emperor and so on and so what paul is doing here by using this word and he'll talk he'll mention this same word um, or very uh, it's related to it He'll use the word citizens in chapter 3. But he doesn't call us citizens of Rome or Philippi or Cardston or wherever else you, you call. He calls us citizens of heaven. And so Paul is, is making the point here as he goes on to say, let your, let your life as citizens, let your manner of life be worthy of of the gospel of Christ. Our lives are to be consistent with the gospel. The good news of Jesus Christ is that the king has come to deliver a people unto himself. We read in Colossians, though we once belonged to darkness, we were subject to the wicked ways of that kingdom, seeking to rule our own lives. But now Colossians 1.13 says that we have been transferred by God into the kingdom which belongs to his beloved son. 
And so we have a new way of life governed by our, our Lord Jesus Christ. As citizens of heaven, those who have been saved by the Lord Jesus Christ, we ought to live a life consistent with what He has done. Consistent with who He is and whom He has called us to be. I was reading different people's thoughts about this and and I came across a preacher from about 1,500 years ago named John Chrysostom. So this is a way back. And he was talking about this. And he said something that really struck me. He said, there is nothing so incongruous. Now that's a big word, means out of place. There's nothing so out of place that doesn't belong in the Christian's life. There's nothing so foreign to his character than to seek ease and rest. Now I found that very interesting, and he's talking, he's not saying the Christian life is a drudgery, it's all work. We know the Lord Jesus Christ said, come to me and I will give you rest. But here he's talking about seeking after, living for ease and rest in and of ourselves. And, and this flies very contrary to what Paul goes on to say. He says that we're to stand firm, to strive for the faith of the gospel, not to be frightened. He goes on to talk about suffering. So what John Chrysostom is saying here, you might think of it this way, if a person claims to be born again, a new person, a citizen of heaven, we belong to the Lord Jesus Christ now, should they not act like one and seek, as, as Paul did, that to please Christ, to exalt his Lord and Master, to live as, as Christ lived, no longer for himself. You know, if, if a dead person is raised to life and he goes back and he decides to hang out in his tomb, we would say that's incongruous, that's out of place, it just doesn't make any sense. It's contrary to who that person is because he's alive, not dead. If a slave sits on the throne, we see that's out of place too. I think there's a proverb about that. Well, it's the same with the Christian. As citizens of heaven, we don't live for ourselves, for our own ease and rest. We are not the king. Instead, we live to advance the Lord Jesus Christ and we accept the rest that he gives to us, the peace that he gives to us in whatever we are going through. Our rest and peace comes from Him, not from seeking it ourselves. So we stand firm. We fight on. We live differently. We persevere and finish the race because we have been brought into the kingdom of Christ. 
This is the good news that Jesus proclaimed. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. I am the king. And he went to the cross. He died on a cross so that we, by faith in him, might become a part of his kingdom. And this is by grace. We read this morning Ephesians 2. Saved by grace. And, and we stopped at verse 7, but it goes on. That it is not of works. Works can't possibly save. Jesus said that we must be born again. Need a, a new spirit, a new heart. Only then can we begin to live as God created us to live. To live in dependence on our king, our creator, and to worship him. You know, without the grace of God, we are not worthy to be called a citizen, a son, or a friend of God. But those who receive God's gift are given the rights and the privileges and the responsibilities of a citizen of heaven. Our conduct is to be worthy of the gospel. To reflect the glorious grace of God. Because we belong by his grace to a new kingdom. We belong now to him. And it's in his grace that he continues to strengthen us. So the call of the gospel is that we as God's people, by faith in his son, have been given a new citizenship. And we're to live with the conduct of a citizen of King Jesus. Now, what does that look like? What is the gospel in action? How can I say oh, I'm living in a manner worthy of the gospel? Well, there, there are a lot of things that we could say are worthy of the gospel of Christ. In Colossians chapter 3 or in, in places like um, 2 Peter chapter 1, there's lists of, of Christ-like qualities and how the Lord wants us to grow and to mature, to reflect his image. But here in Philippians, in verses 27 to 30, Paul emphasizes perseverance and Standing firmly in the gospel, living the good news of Jesus Christ. Verse 27 describes standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving or contending side by side for the gospel. Standing emphasizes holding your ground in opposition, holding fast to the truth without compromise. And when a person is standing firm, they are, they are not giving up when, it is, when it's hard. And as we, we see, we're not only to stand, but also to strive for the gospel. 
It is both what we stand firmly on because of God's grace, but it's also what we're to strive for, what we're to live for, to exalt Jesus Christ. Paul also emphasizes the citizens of heaven are to be united and that we're to be of one mind with one spirit. It means that we're to be committed to the same goal, to strive together for the gospel, that the gospel would be advanced in our lives. The gospel would be proclaimed in our words and in our conduct together as we seek in our community to um, live for the Lord, that people might know him. And sum up our calling and purpose this way. We are to know Christ and make him known. And is that is that our calling? Is that what we see is our purpose to please the Lord, to exalt him? We ought to to think seriously about these things in our lives. How do they reflect this striving, this standing firm, persevering? The gospel is the power of God unto salvation, Paul wrote in the book of Romans. And if it's the power of God unto salvation, we who are saved by the grace of God ought to devote ourselves to the good news. So Paul has shared the call of the gospel that is to live as a citizen of God's kingdom. And he has described some of the gospel in action. Standing together for the gospel and persevering. Finally, he writes in verse 28 uh, that the believers uh, should not be intimidated by their opponents. He, he apparently anticipated or saw there were opponents of the gospel in Philippi. And he writed that they should not be frightened. But he doesn't just say that. It's like, well, why wouldn't I be frightened, Paul? They're, they're threatening to beat me up, or I, I don't know what the threat was. I don't know what the threat is in your life. But he shares two assurances of the gospel that give us hope in all circumstances. See, the Lord doesn't just tell us, you guys go and stand, you strive out there, you fight on without hope. So I want to look at these two assurances of the gospel. Reason one found in verse 28. So I'll read verse 28 for us. And, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. And here's, here's one of the reasons why. This is a clear sign of their destruction, but of your salvation. And that from God. So Paul is writing and saying that 
the opposition of those who oppose the gospel, it's the very sign by which they demonstrate they are opposed to him. If you are opposed to the gospel of Jesus Christ and to the people whom he has called his own, you are demonstrating that you are opposed to God. But it's not only a sign that they are citizens of darkness, that they are opposed to God, but it is also the very same thing that demonstrates a believer's fellowship with God. The very same event that shows that we belong to God, that we are a new man. Rather than being a sign that God is far from us, the troubles we face at the hands of those who oppose the gospel, they are a sign that God is with us. Rather than being a sign that God is far from us, the troubles we face at the hands of those who oppose the gospel of Jesus Christ is a sign that God is with us. Isn't that wonderful? God's grace is evident in such trials. So that persecution and, and slander um, and, and all these sorts of things demonstrate the Lord he has saved us and he is with us now verse verses 29 to 30 go on to say something even more surprising to me anyway it says that such opposition is is not only a sign of our salvation but it has been granted to us by God suffer for Christ. And I want to carefully consider that in a moment. But let's read verses 29 to 30. Let the text speak for itself. Because, verse 29, because it has been granted to you not only to believe in Christ, but also to suffer for him. Since you are encountering the very same conflict you saw me face and now hear that I am facing. So it's a sign of our salvation because it has been granted to the people of God that we would not only believe in Christ, but also to suffer for him. And he gives evidence that they are encountering the same types of conflict and opposition that he was facing and he was in prison for his, his faith. You know, I, I think it's safe to say that we are all at least tempted to view conflicts and opposition of any sort as a bad moment. Either the Lord is displeased with me or he's not there for me or doesn't love me or something. 
of that sort. Maybe he's not able to help me, we think. But this passage reminds us instead that we ought to interpret what is happening as evidence of God's design to save us. It's a part of that sign of our salvation that we would have this opportunity to believe in Christ and to demonstrate that in our lives through suffering. So that God uses various trials to refine us and to reflect the love and sacrifice of our Lord and Savior towards those who do not deserve it. You know, in this way, we participate in God's story of redemption. We have the opportunity to demonstrate the character of Jesus to others in a way that way more than you can when everything's hunky-dory and, and life is grand. So it's a privilege then, a gift even, if you will, to believe in Christ and suffer for his sake. As our Lord suffered for us so we can follow him and show the world the way of Christ through and in our suffering. We can bless when cursed, love when hated, forgive while dying. The assurance we have in the gospel because of the grace of God that was at work and is continuing to be at work in our lives, the assurance we have is that our suffering is not in vain. God has granted us opportunities to reflect His Son in our suffering. And He continues to enable us and walk with us through the trials of life. I want to close with just a couple of practical thoughts. Um, firstly, it, it, in talking about standing for the gospel and living as citizens of heaven, we need to know the good news. Please develop a habit of gospel remembrance. Because if you don't have the gospel, if the gospel's not what you're standing on, well... When life comes along, and, and remember the, the parable of the wise man who built his house on a rock? It wasn't just knowing the word, was it? It was, it was doing it, right? But if we don't know it and, and take the time to think about the gospel in our daily lives, to remember his grace, his kindness, his faithfulness, and all these things, and we're... we're building our house on a weak foundation. Peter wrote, those who've forgotten their sins are cleansed. Those are the people who do not grow in the grace and knowledge of God. You know, read that in uh, 2 Peter 1 verse 9. So the gospel is important. 
And remembering that foundation is what will keep us uh, going back to the Lord. If we forget his grace, then we're either seeking to earn it or, I don't know, totally disregarding it in our lives. When we remember that we've been forgiven, we love much. We love the Lord much as as the woman who wiped the feet of Jesus. So if the gospel is important to you, that's what you say you stand on, that you that's your goal. You want to advance the good news. Then we ought to dwell on it, talk of it and get to know it backwards and forwards. So to stand for the gospel, we, we ought to know the good news and think on it daily. And secondly, I think we daily need to rearrange our thinking of, about suffering. I mean, first of all, the kind of suffering that Paul is talking about here is not, I don't know, <laughs> some little thing like uh, I woke up on the wrong side of the bed and now I'm grumpy, you know. <laughs> but uh, but um, secondly, to, to realize that persecution and slander and hard times, uh, we may sometimes bring them on ourselves. We might rightly describe them as discipline of the Lord at times. But regardless of the cause, they are an opportunity to display the king's love in a dark world. And we have a choice. Will I do that? Will I respond as the Lord Jesus Christ would have me respond? Or will I decide that my grumpiness or my whatever is the, the right way to respond to the trial? In some small way, every trial is granted to us so that we can show the abundant grace of God. And I hope that we can see that in the big things and in the little things. I would urge you to consider your circumstances and to think of them that way. To think of them as an opportunity to honor Jesus by responding to suffering like he did. And where we have not responded, we repent. We turn from those things and we turn to the Lord thankful that even in this, he, he's working. Thankful that we can show his love, his patience, his righteousness to a watching world. The gospel call is that we would put the gospel into action by standing together for our king and the good news which is all about him. And the gospel's assurance is that we are secure even in the trials. For trials are a sign of God's grace at work in us, an opportunity to display the incredible kindness and beauty of our king.